On Mother's Day one time, I preached a sermon from Proverbs chapter 31, you know, that section about the godly woman. And at the end of the service, I was standing at, at the back, and a woman walked by, and she said to me, don't you ever preach on Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day again. I feel guilty enough already. So, I scratched that off the list for today. And uh, <clears throat> being a coward, I decided just to take the easy way out and tell you a story. Uh, it's a story about a woman and a mother, a grandmother. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's actually a love story. It's actually a romantic comedy that's found in the Bible. It's uh, tucked away in the Old Testament between the book of Judges and uh, 1 Samuel. But it's about a young woman uh, named Ruth. And the book is four chapters long, so we're not going to read all of the, the scripture. I'm mostly just going to tell you the story, and we'll read some scripture uh, here and there. But mostly, I just wanted to tell you this story. And it's a love story between Ruth and Boaz. One scholar writing about the book of Ruth said, um, the worst service one can do to the story is to comment on it. So uh, I'm going to try to refrain from commenting too much on the story and just tell you the story the way the Bible tells it. So um, if you would like, it helps me at least to imagine the story as a play. It has uh, one act, six scenes, and as we go through each scene, the story unfolds uh, before us. So listen to this love story. Scene one, somewhere in Moab. And the curtain opens and you see the family. The husband is Elimelech, the wife uh, is Naomi, and they have two sons, uh, Malon and Chilon, which you know his friends called him Chill. Uh, as a matter of fact, Naomi means lovely. And so I'm sure Elimelech introduced her as, this is my lovely wife, lovely. And so they lived in this small town in Judea. They lived in a town called Bethlehem. And uh, at the beginning, things were going well, but then a famine came. So there's no food, and times got hard. And so Elimelech took his young family, and they moved to a foreign country so that they could find food and so that they could survive. And so while they were there in this foreign country, which was Moab, uh, their two sons both ended up marrying girls from Moab. And the story really uh, begins in tragedy. Uh, a famine chases, uh, you know, Elimelech and his family out of Bethlehem to a, to a foreign country, to a strange place called Moab. And while they're there, Elimelech died. And then shortly after that, both of Naomi's sons died. And so the only people left are Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And in those days, women really had no way to take care of themselves economically. So uh, you needed a husband or a father. And so they were in dire straits. Um, so she told her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, I'm going to go back to, to Bethlehem. The famine's over. There is nothing for you there. 
you need to just go back to your family so someone can take care of you because I can't take care of you. And so she told them they needed to go back to their families. She was going to pack her bags, and she was going to go back to Bethlehem, and that's what they just needed to do. Now let me read to you uh, in Ruth chapter 1. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. It's bitter for me because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So Naomi was uh, understandably depressed. Um, She's lost everything. She felt like even God had turned against her. And her two two daughters-in-law insisted that they go with her, but Naomi told them no, they had to return to their own family so they could be taken care of. So Orpah cried and kissed Naomi goodbye and went home to her family. But Ruth said she wasn't going anywhere. She was staying with her. And then Ruth spoke these words, which are the best-known words in the book of Ruth. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. So Naomi realized there's no getting rid of Ruth. So uh, the two of them start out together for Bethlehem and the curtain closes. Scene two, the homecoming. The curtain opens and Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. And some of the women recognize her and they say, is this not Naomi who who has come back home? But Naomi was not in a very good mood. And uh, she responds, don't call me Naomi. Remember, that means lovely. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So, so don't call me Naomi, which means lovely, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because my life is now bitter. She went away lovely, but she came back bitter. God has turned his back on me, and I don't imagine Naomi was a lot of fun to be around, but Ruth stayed by her side because Ruth loved Naomi. Scene three. The harvest. There was a custom in those days that when you picked the crops in your field, you were supposed to like make like a circle and leave the corners. You were not supposed to harvest the crops in the corners. And anything you dropped, you were to leave on the ground. And that way, the people who lived there who had no land and no way to provide for themselves and had no food would come into the fields after the harvest and there would be food there for them to gather and pick up and take home. It was called gleaning. And this is the way they took care of the poor and the widowed and the orphans as they would go through the fields and glean the food that had been left over. And so as the curtain opens, Ruth set out to glean the fields to find food for herself and for her mother-in-law. And I love the way the Bible tells this story. In in, in, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, 
She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. I love that. As it turns out, Ruth just happened to find herself in this particular field, like it was coincidence or luck or something, but God was at work in her life. And God was guiding her, and God was guiding her steps. And the part I love is that she didn't hear any voices, no direct command that says, go to this field and glean in that field. Later on, she didn't say, you know, something just told me I should go to that field. None of that. She just felt like, I'll stop here. And she did. And that's so refreshing to me. Because we live in a day when there's just so many people who claim to hear God speaking, telling them every move they're about to make. And you know when religious leaders act like they know everything there is to know about God, like they have walked around God and taken pictures. This is refreshing. James Dunn wrote about people who were often in error but never in doubt. It frightens me when people are never in doubt. People who know God's answer for everything. Their whole world is completely black and white and right and wrong. And I don't live in that kind of world. I live in Ruth's world where things are complicated. It's a world where you have to think things through. And you have to listen to your feeling. And you play your hunches. And you pray you're doing the right thing. And this route takes a lot less confidence, but it takes a whole lot more trust. And just like in the story, God works in our lives. (laughs) She heard no word from God saying, go to this field. She just went and said, I think I'll try this field. As it turns out, (laughs) she was exactly where God wanted her to be. So Boaz, who owned the field, he was a wealthy landowner, and uh, he was much older than Ruth. But even though he was getting a little long in the tooth, his eyesight was still good. (laughs) And he thought Ruth was a pretty young woman. So he asked around about her to find out who she was. And then he told her, he said, why don't you just stay here in my fields and glean? Don't need to go to any of those other fields. Especially those fields owned by those young farmers, you know, who work, work without their shirts on. You, uh, you just stay right here. And if you stay right here, I'll make sure you have plenty of food. And then he told the people that work for him, just drop a little extra and, and make sure there's plenty of food for, for Ruth to get. And then he told her that there was water out in the field for his workers. Please just help herself. Whatever she needed, it was there. And then the store gets even better. Because the more Boaz thought about Ruth, the weaker he got in the knees and his palms got sweaty. And so he made this picnic lunch and he took it out to Ruth in the field. So picture this. Here's the wealthy landowner who makes a lunch and takes it out to this foreigner, this immigrant woman who is gleaning in his field Love makes you do some strange things. So at the end of the day, Ruth went home with a wheelbarrow full of food. And Naomi said, 
where have you been? And she said, well, I was in the field of this nice man named Boaz. And for the first time in the story, Naomi lights up. Her yenta eyes came to life. You can cue the music. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. And all of a sudden, the play becomes a musical. And it turns out that Boaz is one of Naomi's former husband, Elimelech's closest relatives. So they had another custom in that day that if a husband died, his closest relative could buy his land and redeem his wife, and they would have children together in, in the name of the former husband. And um, so the nearest kin was to do that. And he was known as a kinsman redeemer. And Naomi knew that Boaz could be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. And so um, the curtain closes while Naomi plots. Scene four, the proposal. Now, Naomi made the plan, and she told Ruth what to do, and Ruth followed it to the letter. This is uh, over, over in chapter 3. She said, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor, and don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. This is better than anything on Netflix, isn't it? So you see, Boaz had only seen Ruth in her overalls. But now she got cleaned up, got a makeover, her perfume, got that little black dress and some heels. And she headed down to the threshing bar. Now, um, it, what happened was uh, they had just gathered in all the grain, and so they didn't want anybody to steal it. So Boaz and his employees slept out by the barn so nobody could go in and steal the grain. So Boaz, he's had supper and ate and drank and sat down. He, he's gone to sleep. So Ruth slips into the grain house, and she goes over to where Boaz is sleeping. Don't worry, it's rated G. And um, she slipped the cover off his feet. And a lot of people try to make that out to be a euphemism for something else, but I think literally she pulled the cover off his feet because when you took the cover off his feet, then his feet get cold and he wakes up. Now, I know this works for a fact because for many years, Cindy and I lived in Kentucky, and during the winter, she would often pull the cover off my feet at night, and um, I would always wake up. So, um, so Boaz woke up, and he thought he must be dreaming because there was Ruth, and she was looking good, and she was smiling at him. And she told him, you know, you could be my kinsman redeemer. And, and I mean, what she actually did was she was proposing to Boaz. I mean, Ruth actually proposed to Boaz. I mean, Ruth has chutzpah. So Boaz pinched himself a few times and laughed like a schoolboy. And he said, you are so kind to me. All these young bucks running around, and you choose to be with me. That, that's my paraphrase of verse 10. But the plot thickens. Boaz tells her he's not the nearest kin. 
Actually, there's another. And so the other man must have the first choice to redeem Ruth or not. And so he sent her home with her arms full of food and the curtain closes. Scene five, unfinished business. The curtains open and Boaz got up the next morning, ran down to the gate where the elders sat. And as soon as this man came to town, Boaz took him aside and told him what the deal was, sat down with the elders to be a witness to the situation. And I don't know what Boaz told him. I mean, he may have told him, you know, the land is it's kind of in a floodplain and Ruth's kind of clingy and needy and... Oh, and by the way, if you take her, you get the mother-in-law in the deal, too. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but the man decided he didn't want to buy the land or redeem Ruth. And so um, Boaz made him shake on it, and they exchanged sandals, which in those days was the way you signed a contract. Um, it's your way of saying, you know, I cross my heart and hope to die if I go back on this deal. And so as the curtain falls, we see Boaz running off stage. You didn't know a man his age could skip like that. Scene six, home sweet home. Well, the curtain opens and they're all sitting in the newly furnished nursery of, uh, of Naomi, of uh, Ruth and Boaz. And Naomi is sitting in a rocking chair, rocking her grandson. And the women of the town are, are all around the walls. They're all in there celebrating with her. And for the first time in a really long time, Naomi felt like God wasn't against her. That God was actually for her. Verse 14, chapter 4. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And the story ends with uh, one really important stage note. This baby's name is Obed. And he grows up to have a son whose name is Jesse. Who grows up to have a son whose name is David. Uh, who becomes the greatest king in the history of Israel, who has a great-great-great-great-great-grandson named Jesus, who is also born in Bethlehem. Now, this is such a wonderful story because it tells us an incredibly important truth about life. God is redeeming the world through human love. Now, I know that God is redeeming us through divine love. We already understand that. But the love of another human being helps redeem us. I want to say that again. God is redeeming the world through human love. Naomi and Boaz and Ruth, their lives were all changed because somebody loved them. And God still works that way. God changes the lives of people that we choose to love. In the Old Testament, redeem meant to take responsibility for. Ruth loved Naomi and redeemed her. 
by staying with her. And Naomi loved Ruth and redeemed her by finding her a kinsman redeemer. Ruth loved Boaz and redeemed him with her love. And Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi by loving them and taking care of them. And many generations later, one was born to the same family who would love so much he would go to a cross to redeem us all. In the ordinariness of life, God is working out God's plan among those who choose to love the people around them. 1 John 4.21 And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother and sister also. And on this Mother's Day, we celebrate the lives of those who have loved us and by doing so have changed our lives. God is redeeming the world through human love. You are never more like Jesus than when you love somebody. And that's the way God works among us, redeeming us. And on this day, I am grateful for a mother who loved me and whose love has helped redeem me. I'm grateful for family and friends who have loved me and whose love still redeems me. Because that's how God works. He works through love. Love is what matters. Love is what redeems us. Amen.